Our service today, as you can tell, is going to be a little different. You were handed a handout, uh, the laboring in prayer handout, and that's going to be the roadmap for our service. We're going to be uh, moving through an acronym, C-H-A-T, and then we're also going to be uh, hearing from Edgewood members uh, as they come and lead us in prayer. We'll be singing and worshiping in these different sections, and there will be some teaching in the confess section, the honor section, the ask section, and then the thank section. And, uh, and then we're going to conclude it all with communion. Uh, it'll be uh, uh, very appropriate to celebrate communion after, after we've uh, gone through the, these prayers. Max Licato talks about a time that he decided to go to his office very early in the morning. He had been on vacation for a couple of weeks and was very well rested. So he rolled out of bed early, really early, and he dressed to go to the church office. And then his wife tried to convince him not to go in. It's the middle of the night, she mumbled. This is what he said. What if a burglar tries to break in? Now, there had been attempted burglaries at this church just previously, so he, of course, ignores his wife's concern and drove to the church very early in the morning, entered the office complex, disarmed the alarm, and then once he walked in, armed it again. A few seconds later, Lucado thought, somebody must be trying to break in, so he raced down the hallway and turned the alarm on, and then it went off. So he ran back to the office and he called 911, reporting to the police exactly what he had just heard. After he hung up, it occurred to him that thieves could get in before the police arrived. So he rushed back down the hallway to rearm the system. They won't get me, Lucado thought. He said, I am safe and I am secure. He punches in his code. But as he turned, the sirens for the alarm go off once again. Lucado is frustrated. He disarms the system and tries to reset it. He walks to the window. He's looking out. Where are the police? They got to get here very soon. But then the alarm goes off another time. Once again, he goes. He disarms the alarm, thinking that now the things are going to be well. He resets it so that if someone comes in, that he will understand it. He walks back to his office. Once again, the alarm goes off. And he's thinking, wait a minute. Something has got to be fouled up with the alarm system. So he calls the alarm company. He said, our alarms keep going off. (laughs) There's got to be something wrong. You know, we got some determined thieves or we have a malfunction. The guy on the other side of the phone said, there's a third option that you may want to consider. Did you know that your building is also equipped with a motion detector? Just then, the police arrived, and Lucado told them, I think the problem is on the inside of the building, not on the outside. He was very embarrassed that he was the culprit who was setting the alarms off. You know, alarms go off all the time in our world, and it doesn't help to pretend that they aren't screaming at us. But it's also wise to look into the mirror before we look out the window to see what the problem is. When we try to cover up our sins, they only get worse. But if we openly confess our sins 
and give them to God, then he can solve our problem. Psalm 32.5 tells us this. I acknowledged my sins to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 1 John 1, 9 through 10 says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The word confess in verse 9 is when we approach God through prayer, admitting that we have sinned and that we have done wrong and that we would like to have his forgiveness. Being honest and open to him is the key that we need for forgiveness to start. In our house, we watch a lot of America's Funniest Home Videos. And one of the, the key programs, that, that part of, this is of the program that they have, is that they have parents who set their kids up for failure, right? So they set their kids at a counter, they put chocolate in front of the kids, and they say, we're going to go away for a few minutes, and then when we come back, you can eat that chocolate. Inevitably, almost every time, they come back and the chocolate is all gone by the time the parents get back. But the kids' faces are covered in this rich, chocolatey mess. They ask the kids, what happened to the chocolate? Did you eat it? No, I didn't eat it. And the kids are just denying that they ate the chocolate. Sometimes they'll point at their brother or their sister, or they'll even point at the dog. After a while of talking to the kids, they finally admit, yeah, I ate the chocolate. You know, when we sin, we need to confess it to God and ask for his forgiveness. For the Christian, God has already forgiven our sins when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, but we do go to him daily so that we can have a close relationship with him. When there's unconfessed sin in our life, God is still our Father, but he may withhold blessings from our life each and every day. Verse 9 continues by telling us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He can always be counted on. It doesn't matter what we did. He can be counted on. He is faithful. God is just. He will always do what is right. God is also forgiving. He forgives us of our sins, and there's no trace of wrong in our lives once he forgives. Psalm 103.12 tells us this. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. God takes our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That word all means all, everything. We can't ever come to him and say, well, God can't forgive me of this. No, the scripture clearly teaches that he will forgive us of all of our sins and he makes everything clean in us, washes it away. It's very personal to us. Verse 10 also is a gentle reminder that we need to keep our accounts short with the Lord. Just because we have been saved doesn't mean that we will never sin. In fact, we sin daily but as we get closer in our relationship with God, we may sin less and less, but we never get to that point where we stop sinning completely. As we start our time this morning, we're going to reflect on the great privilege that the Lord has given to us to cleanse our hearts and to make our motives clean. We're going to take a few minutes 
to make our hearts right before our Heavenly Father, confessing the sins that we have and giving them to Him. Leading us in prayer this morning is going to be Aaron and Amanda Langworthy. They've just begun working on deputation so that they can go to Uganda to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aaron and Amanda also help with our Mainspring Sunday morning Bible study and growth group. So Aaron and Amanda, would you uh, uh, lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because you have already judged on the cross every sin we have and ever will commit. We thank you that the Spirit and the Son intercede for us, and we thank you that you have declared us righteous in Christ. We also know that we live very far from the holiness you call us to. The more we see and know you in the pages of Scripture, the more we see ourselves as wretched and sinful. Right now we come to you confessing our rebellion and idolatry as we so often look for joy and satisfaction in other things. We have lived to please ourselves and given little thought to you. It is so easy to spend hours consuming the entertainment and messages of the world and minutes with you. God, we spend the next 30 seconds individually, quietly confessing the actions we have taken that have fallen short of the righteous living you have called us to. Father, we know it is not just our actions that fail to meet the standards of holiness, but our words. In James 3, you tell us that our tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life. You tell us no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless you and curse people made in your likeness. We confess that we are so often guilty of the sins you clearly condemn. Gossip, slander, complaining, backbiting, lying, cursing, obscene talk, coarse joking, flattery, and corrupt communication. And God, not only do we say the things we shouldn't, but we don't say the things we should. We don't encourage when we should. We don't give you credit when we should. We don't thank you nearly enough for the infinite number of blessings you bless us with, the greatest of which is a relationship with you. We also don't call what you call sin, sin, when we should. We avoid the difficult conversations and let brothers and sisters continue in sin instead of biblically correcting or rebuking them. We avoid the difficult conversations and let the unsaved walk right into hell without sharing the gospel with them. We speak when we shouldn't, and we stay silent when we should speak. Father, in the next few moments, hear the private prayers of your children as we confess our failure to use our mouth as we should. Holy Father, we finish this time of confession, admitting that the problem is greater than our actions and words. It is our hearts. God, Please keep changing our hearts. We need you to soften them and grow them in a greater desire for you and total dependence on you. God, I'm sorry I don't love you more. I know this is the root problem. My heart loves me when it should love you. My heart is sick and deceived into thinking real pleasure is found in something other than you. God, help me to put to death 
what is earthly in me. God, it is you who works in us to want and do the things you desire. We ask you to do that work in us by the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus and for the sake of your glory. Amen. Honor, courage, and commitment. Three values that help define the Marine Corps and which were drilled into my head when I was in boot camp. And honor is a a character trait that most of us in here value. We want to act honorably, and we would like to be treated with honor. In fact, I personally have never met anyone who has wanted to be treated dishonorably. Have you? And so it begs the question, what does honor mean? And how, church, how can you and I be men and women of honor? And how do we know who or what to honor? Honor emphasizes character traits that are worthy of respect. Traits like integrity, commitment, loyalty, just to name a few. In honor, honor brings respect and recognition, which leads us to putting people or things in high esteem. So it seems to me Uh, that society's view of honor has kind of switched a little bit. Uh, We have moved away from an eternal view of honor to something which is a little bit more temporary. Uh, Today, we generally look at outward appearances and physical skills and uh, political parties and fame and fortune and high returns. Those can be things that we can tend to give honor to. Doing the right thing has kind of taken a back seat to these um, high athletic skills. So when we hold someone or something in high esteem, uh, we usually spend our money on those things. Uh, We act like those things. We talk about those things. We will even mimic their behavior often. And all you have to do is turn the TV on on a Sunday afternoon and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And we often do those, sadly, uh, irregardless of what God's word says. So this morning, as we labor in prayer, we're looking to define honor from an unchanging, eternal, biblical viewpoint. And if you were to do a quick word search on the word honor in the ESV version, you would find that it occurs 143 times. And of that 143 times, you'd see 15 times it occurs in the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, we are told if you want honor, that we should honor the Lord with our wealth. We should seek wisdom. We should be gracious. We should avoid sexual immorality and to fear the Lord. And I want to just stop at those five uh, due to time's sake. And I want to start really at the ground level at a good foundation I really truly believe that fear of the Lord is the basis for our honor. Fearing the Lord God keeps God in that place of importance in a primary spot in our lives and those around us. Psalms 29.2 reads, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of of holiness. So really, at its root level, it's an understanding of God's holiness, 
which will lead you and I to glorify and worship him. Also, that understanding of his holiness, which will help us to show the ultimate act of deference, where we defer to him, when we bow our knees and we bow our heads to him out of respect and humility. And when we recognize God as our creator, uh, it's an inward drive that you and I begin to have to serve him. And we serve him because of who he is, not because of what we want from him. When we accept his truth, we begin to act like him. We realize that you and I, we have a problem, and that problem is called sin, and that simply means we break God's commandments. We also then accept his solution for our problem, which is putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, shed blood on the cross as your and my sin substitute. And when those two things happen, you and I will cry out to God for salvation. It's this knowledge then that will lead you and I to obedience. We obey God not to get something from him, but because of the love that he has shown us through his son, Jesus Christ. And Philippians 4.8 reads, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. First Timothy six fifteen through 16, regarding Jesus Christ, Paul writes, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. And in 1 Peter 3.15 we read, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And in just a minute, uh, Reagan and Pam, they're going to come forward and they're going to lead us in prayer. Um, but I'd like to close with this reminder from the book of Philippians. And it's a reminder that every one of us should keep in front of us. It's a stark reminder. And some of us as believers, uh, we're going to willingly bow our knees to God because we understand what he has done for us. But at the judgment seat, Every single person is going to bow their knees and they're going to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. Many of us here, we're doing that willingly, but there are people in our lives who are doing that unwillingly. They will do that unwillingly. And it tells us in Philippians 2, 10 through 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. And church, may you and I never grow weary in being obedient to him or sharing the truth to those of our friends and family who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. Ladies, would you please lead us in prayer? Let's pray, church family. Heavenly Father, with our mouths we acknowledge your sovereignty over all the earth and the heavens. With our voices we sing songs of your truths to exalt your holy name. Our eyes take in the magnificence of your majesty. 
Lord, we praise you for the abundance of nature's beauty surrounding us. We proclaim you as the creator, the artist, and the composer of it all. Father God, let your ears hear the sweet sounds of believers sharing the good news around the world of Jesus, your one and only Son who lived, died, and defeated death. Lord Jesus, may your ears be filled with shouts of joy from your children who accept your gift of salvation. Voices proclaiming, I believe. Jesus, you died for us. We trust your death paid for our sins. Your resurrection guarantees us eternal life with you in heaven. Abba, Father, hear our words and see our actions that point others to you. God the Most High, our hearts, souls, and minds abide in you. We treasure your holy word, the Bible, that speaks your thoughts, ways, and life instructions to dwell in us. We seek obedience in all your ways. Lord, encourage us as we gather, grow, give, and go. Each day, may you see our well-worn path leading to your word. In the precious name of Jesus, we labor in prayer. Amen. Abba, when we gaze upon the stars, galaxies unfolded before our eyes, we see your fingerprints, O glorious creator. When we stand so small, so tiny before the mountains, our hearts are drawn to your wonder and might. O author of our stories, When children laugh and run and giggle with delight, we are left bewildered at the beauty of new life. Bewildered by you, Yahweh, the creator of life. In awe of your tenderness, mercy, and graciousness to your people, we gather to hear stories of your faithfulness, of your power, of your kindness, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Sarah, Hannah, and Esther, Who is like you, O God? When we dwell in the darkness of the valley, your voice calls to us. We long to obey you, O God, for truly you and your ways are better. May we dwell in your house and gaze upon your beauty all the days of our lives. You sent your son to die for us, to redeem us. You empower us with your Holy Spirit. You fill us and leave us changed. We worship you from the very depths of who we are. Church, let us worship, adore, glorify, and obey our Lord, our King. We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So have you ever found yourself uh, treating God like a vending machine? Um, Students, I know there's many of you there. That pop test or that pop final? Is there ever such thing as a pop final test? (laughs) And you're like, okay, vending machine God, uh, coin in the slot. Lord, help me pass this class, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've been there. I I think many of us have. There's been those times where we're expecting God to just answer our prayers. Why? Well, he loves us, right? And, And we need something. Um, well, but as the video points out, you know, God, God just is not a vending machine. Uh, it's, it's kind of absurd to think of that. But unfortunately, when it comes to the issue of prayer and just how God answers those prayers, uh, many believers are confused, and some believe, just in 
just flat out false teaching. Uh, there's a, a a teaching out there. Many call it "name it, claim it" Christianity, prosperity gospel. You know, there's lots of names for this type of teaching. And uh, what these teachings hold in common is just misinterpretation and misunderstanding of scripture. Of scripture. So the belief is it goes like this: that uh, Christians that we somehow have the ability through faith to claim promises like health and wealth or fill in the blank, whatever, whatever that, that, that is. And then God is then obligated to answer the prayers and, and provide it and give it to us. Um, if we look over a lot of different scripture passages, when we just look at them not in context, you can kind of see how some people would kind of come to those conclusions, right? So I'm going to look at three here. These are actually all words of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, it says, ask, and it will be given to you. Okay. In Mark 11, verse 22 to 24, it says, have faith in God. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. It says, whatever you ask for. So that almost sounds like a blank check, right? <laughs> Just whatever we ask for. In uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, well, then all we have to do is just ask for something, put Jesus' name on it, and it'll happen. Well, obviously that's not true. Um, So you look at these texts, these scriptures, and uh, that group of that false teaching, they kind of look at these as proof uh, proof texts. Uh, and they're persuaded that it's the Christian who has the authority and power to control, manipulate, and demand that God Almighty answer our prayers the way that we want them answered. We just have to name it and claim it. Well, unfortunately, the problem with that belief in that uh, name it, claim it theology is that it does not hold up when we consider the context of those passages, nor does it hold up when we consider the full teaching of Scripture. God is not a puppet that we manipulate. He's not a genie in a bottle, and he certainly is not a vending machine. So it begs the question then, well, how does prayer work then? Uh, The scripture passage that we have chosen for this uh, section of our prayer, our chat acronym, is 1 John 5.14. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's a condition there. The types of prayers that God hears are requests that are according to his will. Consider Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. That's our God. He knows the beginning and the end. So this evokes a couple of thoughts concerning prayer. Number one, God is awesome. He knows everyone's. That's everyone in this room, everyone in the entire world. He knows everyone's yesterdays, everyone's today, and everyone's tomorrow. He knows everything that is. The second thought uh, that I have about how this relates to prayer is, is kind of a question. It's if God has purposed and willed all things 
and he knows all the details about the future and what will happen, then what purpose is there for me to make requests and supplication through prayer? So in other words, why pray if everything's going to happen already? Uh, Well, to help us unpack this, the C.S. Lewis Institute, they published an article written by a really smart guy, smarter than me. His name is Thomas Terrence, and the article is entitled, Why Pray? It endeavors to answer the question about whether or not God's power and providence somehow makes prayer unnecessary. When considering God's providence as immutable by prayer, the article says this, This reasoning has a certain logic and seems to have some biblical plausibility. However, to infer from these truths that prayer is unnecessary is to overlook the broader teaching of Scripture. The Bible does indeed teach that everything we need for life and holiness is found in God, who is willing and able to give it and knows our need before we ask. But it does not teach that he bestows these riches upon us automatically as a matter of right. The bottom line is that Jesus and Scripture teach us to pray. We should pray then, right? James 5.16, it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, if if prayer is powerful and effective, then the opposite must be true. A non-praying Christian is ineffective and powerless in our walk with the Lord. The article then examines the teachings of John Calvin. Uh, In his influential theological work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin lived 16th century. He was a reformer. He writes this, After we have been instructed by faith to recognize that whatever we need and whatever we lack is in God, it remains for us to seek in him and in prayers to ask of him what we have learned to be in him. So Calvin, he saw no conflict between prayer and providence, and neither should we. Uh, Suk and Micah, they're going to be coming now, and they're going to be leading us in prayer, uh, these asking prayers as we go to the Lord and ask. Uh, But I close with this. Scripture does indeed teach, and it invites us to pray, to ask according to God's will. So how do we know God's will? Well, it's revealed to us in Scripture. God's heart is, is revealed to us in Scripture. So we should grow in our knowledge of Scripture if we want to know God's will. But when we pray in this way, as mysterious as it is, we partake in the blessings of God's promises and we are active participants in his unfolding purposes. Go ahead and lead us in prayer. Will you join me in praying for our community, our leaders, and church, uh, church ministry, as we seek to glorify the God. Um, so, Lord, you are merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Your love endures forever. Lord, we want to lift up unbelievers in our families, community, and around the world. We thank you for the salvation you brought to our hearts. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but our hearts are burdened for those who don't know you. We pray that their eyes will open to the truth of the gospel. 
We pray that their hearts of stone to be hearts of flesh. Would you overcome their hardness of heart with your love, your grace, and mercy? We pray you bring into their lives to graciously and powerfully share your words. Lord, we pray for those laboring in Christian ministry. We pray for a passion, for conviction, and dedication for their calling and to Jesus Christ. We pray the Holy Spirit reminds them of your word in Colossians. Whatever they, <clears throat> whatever they do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord, uh, knowing that from the Lord they will receive their inheritance as their reward. They are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for our pastors, and not only for them, but for all who labor in the word. We are reminded in Hebrews that the scripture tells us to obey our leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over our souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to us. We pray that, that, uh, we pray that ministry, teaching, and leading will not be a chore for them, but that it would always be a joy to serve the Lord and his people with kindness and gladness, and that they would enjoy every aspect of leading, whether easy or hard, for the glory of God. We pray for rest spiritually and physically, that they would know that it is not their ministry they are leading, but yours. We pray that they will walk in confidence while kneeling in humility as gentle sh- uh, shepherd who cares for their flock. We pray, God, that you will guard them from burnouts and depression. We pray these things in Christ's name. Lord, we also ask that we ask in confidence and humility for contentment that you have already given us everything that we need with your mercy and your love. I pray that as we gather, we would be able to have, uh, we'd have joy um, in knowing that we are fulfilling scripture by worshiping with you and with our fellow brothers and sisters. Um, As we grow, I pray that we would see that there's no good place to do that, but that it's all the time. Um, As we saw with our recent baptisms, where the youngest was nine and the oldest was 85. I pray that as we give, we'd be able to give our resources, our time to one another to glorify you. And that as we go, we can spread the word throughout the world. And that we would be able to take that into our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, with our family, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we can glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. We now come to the final letter and the chat acronym, which is THANK. To be thankful is to be aware and appreciative of something grateful and expressive of gratitude. The word thank or thanks, thankfulness, thanksgiving, these words are found something like 150 times in scripture. Basically, it is a posture of worship. So as believers, we must constantly take the focus off of ourselves and place it on God. And one way we can do this is through thankfulness. In Psalm 9-1, the author David, writing, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this, 
I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So to give thanks with my whole heart means all of my being. It means with everything that I am, we must do this. And to recount God's wonderful deeds was very important to the children of Israel and, and David's writing on behalf of them. So throughout the Old Testament, we see this played out. In the book of Deuteronomy, the fathers were supposed to pass on the faith to their children. So we see this in the book of Deuteronomy in the sharing of the Shema. So after this, they are told to share with your children about the Exodus, how God rescued us from exile there in Egypt. Tell about the miracles that took place in the wilderness. Tell about the commandments of the Lord and later on the promised land to which they would go. In the book of Joshua, they passed over the Jordan River and they were to erect memorial stones, 12 of them. Why? To remember how they got there and what God had done for them so that they would not forget. In Psalm 78, Asaph said this, tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And this was followed by history of the children of Israel and everything that God had done and all the miracles that he had performed and how much they had to be thankful for. In Psalm 136, the psalmist recounts something the Lord did in the past in each and every verse, followed by this phrase, his steadfast love endures forever over and over and over again. So if you've read the Old Testament, you know all about the ups and downs of the children of Israel. There was always a time of triumph and blessing, followed by a falling away, unfortunately, and sin, and then judgment and discipline, and then a time of repentance and coming back to the Lord. Israel was just like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. They were to take note and recount often the wonderful deeds of the Lord so as to not take the attention off God and onto themselves. But we must do the same thing. We must do this also and if need be, write it down. We must remember why because we so often forget. We're just like Israel if you really think about it. So in times of doubt or temptation to sin, we can recount God's wonderful deeds. We can look at those, the things that we've written down, the things that we have told to our children. We can be reminded in those times when it feels like God isn't there and knowing that he has been there and he has been faithful through all of it. So some different ways that we can do this is simple acknowledgement of this. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So we can thank God each and every day. A practice for us as believers may be this for you before you even get out of bed in the morning. Thank God for another day of life and that you're going to commit it and give it over to him. And Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So do not worry, do not stress, do not be anxious. Jesus said, worry will not add a single hour to your life. Rather be thankful. Take that attention off of ourselves and place it on God and his wonderful deeds and remind yourself of what those are. And Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So always give thanks, no matter what you're doing or what is going on in your life. 
And then Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 takes it another step further. He says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So in every circumstance of life, we're to give thanks. Think about some examples in scripture of this. Job's example, Job lost absolutely everything that he had and everything that he loved. And what did he say? The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Think about Paul writing this. Paul went through all kinds of persecution and hardships and he learned this and he wrote this in one of the epistles. Whatever the situation I am, I'm going to be content. So we must constantly take the focus off of ourselves and place it on God. Thank God for who he is and what he has done every single day. So some simple ways that we can do this, some reminders for us are that he formed us and created us and has given us life. He loves us and sent Jesus to die for our sins and to rise again, giving us the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit as a promise. He provides for us and watches over us as children. He blesses us with good gifts like family, friends, and the church body that we have here today. And he has promised us a home in heaven one day when we pass from this life. How do you need to thank him today? I'm going to ask Jamie and Sarah Rogers to come on up. They're going to pray for us. Jamie and Sarah have been involved with Edgewood for a long time, and they serve in our student ministry. And so uh, I'm grateful they're going to share a prayer of thanks with us uh, now. Lord, I know that you know what I've done, and you know where I've been, and yet you still love me. Your power over sin and death is still infinitely more than mine. And I thank you for the gift of mercy, grace, and life. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your written word, the Bible, and for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which you have sent to help guide us. I thank you for the gift of relationships, the relationships between people of the same generations and between those of different. Thank you for the ability for your people to meet together, eat together, and live a life that you've planned for us together. Lord, I thank you for the many physical blessings you have bestowed on your people. You have been providing for us since the beginning, and you continue to provide now. You have blessed us with everything we own, and in turn, we give it back to you. Thank you for all the blessings you have bestowed on us. I thank you for your compassion on your people. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, it's clear that you still care for your people. In the midst of financial insecurity the loss of a family member, a breakup, the list goes on. Yet you still love your people and are never far from them. You lead your people through difficult circumstances and draw them closer to yourself in the process. Lord, I thank you. Dear God, today we come to you for a time of prayer through thanksgiving. We recognize that you know all, have power over all things, and are present everywhere regardless of circumstance. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace through your gift of salvation when we choose to seek you out and accept that gift. We thank you for your guidance and instructions found within Scripture. I personally thank you for a section of verses I often go back to in order to check my level of obedience to you, found in Galatians 5, 22-26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Lord, we recognize that this section of Scripture provides a reminder to believers of not only what it looks like to have the Spirit within us, but also can be used as a tool in developing good relationships with people around us. God, thank you for the many blessings you continue to provide to me and my family through the extended family we have here at Edgewood. Thank you for providing a place where people can gather and worship regularly. Thank you for the many growing ministries beginning with nursery and continuing through the stages of life that you continue to provide for Edgewood members and guests to have both opportunities to participate in and serve in in an effort to further your kingdom. Thank you for the opportunities you continually provide to Edgewood through our Go Team partners locally, nationally, and across the nations to go with the gospel. While we find it difficult at times, thank you for the challenging times. Thank you for the opportunity to have you always present in our lives. While for some of us, we may seem to only cry out to you in times of pain, when we slow down, we can find you everywhere. We can see you in the sunrises and sunsets, in mountains and oceans, in our marriage, in our children, in friendships, literally everywhere. For through you, God, all things can be made good. We lift this prayer of thanks up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We now have the opportunity to worship Lord through communion and the Lord's Supper. And at the end of this acronym, chat, confess, honor, ask, and thank, it seems fitting to do this at this time after prayer. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And perhaps you've done that throughout this service, maybe at the beginning when we went through the time of confession. And a lot of times when we think about confession, we think about those sins that we commit, those things that we do that are wrong, that we know we should not do. We can often think of those and repent of those. But how often do we repent of the sins of omission in our lives, the things that perhaps God is calling us to do, he's been urging us to do or leading us to do, but we refuse to do them, whether out of fear uh, or some other reason. There may be times in your life where God is urging you to, to speak to a family or friend or a coworker or a neighbor about him, but we pull back and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do what God wants to do to do in that situation. But think about Proverbs 3.27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. So whether you're here today and you're struggling with some kind of sin of commission, something that you keep falling back into, or perhaps there's something God's calling you into that you haven't been doing, whatever that is, let's make sure we examine ourselves and make that right before God. Let's pray. God, once again, we thank you for this time together to gather and to pray and to worship you in freedom. 
Lord, so many times we forget about all the things that you have blessed us with, Lord. So we thank you for all of those things today. Lord, if we confess, we've honored you, we've asked things of you, we've thanked you, Lord, I pray that those prayers would continue on throughout today and throughout this week. We wouldn't just forget about it as we leave from this place today. And Lord, now as we celebrate this time to remember, Lord, your sacrifice for us. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood that was spilled. Lord, in order to save us from our sins, Lord, we needed a perfect sinless sacrifice, God. Jesus, we thank you for dying, but rising again, giving us hope and a future with you in heaven one day. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for. And Lord, we thank you for this time together, celebrating as a body of Christ, Lord. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, would you uh, stand, and we're just going to go ahead, and we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together, and then we'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You're dismissed.